Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Oh, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. Oh, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yeah, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He made them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon, Syrian, like a young unicorn. Oh, and the voice of the Lord divide. The flames of fire Oh, and the voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness oh, the Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh Oh, and the voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to cap And discovereth the forest And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory Oh, the Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, and the Lord sitteth king forever. Oh, the Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks, What's it going to take? No, what do you need? Really? What do you need to believe? I mean, to really believe in God. I mean, really believe. You know what I'm talking about? Not some kind of intellectual ascent to some possibility of, like, something out there beyond you. Or, like, the vagaries of some intelligence that must be at work in creation. Or the, you know, if I can conceive of a being more powerful or more just or more righteous, more loving or more kind or smarter or whatever, then one must exist. Or like the God, like, look around, you know, the lovely trees and the lovely mountains and the lovely oceans and the lovely wonders of the spider's web. The lovely wonders. Yes, is that where you're at? The lovely wonders? What exactly do you need to go beyond the vague lovely as a theological ground? I mean, I'm saying exactly what do you need to move beyond vague loveliness, the benign possibilities of benevolent intelligence? I'm asking you, what do you need to believe in God? A God who is in you and around you. A God who acts. A God who knows you and loves you. Who provides for you and your people. A God who knit you together in your mother's womb. A God who hears you. Hears your prayers. Your whispers of fear at night. Who hears your entreaties for help. Encourages your cries for comfort, for rest, for peace for help, for healing, a God who receives your gratitude and praise. 
A personal God. That's what I'm talking about. A personal God. What is it that could bring you out of the vague lovelies into the presence of a personal God? But of course, perhaps you already have a personal God. But maybe not. Perhaps actually you're in the theological ground of the vague lovelies, and that's just about as much God as you think you need. That's fine. Maybe you're not really into a personal God, you know? You're not looking for a personal God. You're not in the market. I mean, who wants a personal God who is, like, all involved in your, like, personal business, you know? I might not be that comfortable to have, like, the designer of the spider's web or the creator of photosynthesis and the complexities of a snowflake seeing what's inside your head, you know? Well, then, what exactly is it that you want from God? What do you want from God? A moral ground? An ethical compass? But maybe you are in the market for a more personal God. Someone who cares. Someone who hears your prayers. Faith development, right? Spiritual, the spiritual maturing process is kind of given short shrift when it comes to the whole human development thing, right? Right? In every other area of your basic human being, growth, maturity, change is expected. Much attention is paid to intellectual development, emotional development, physical development. But somehow there's this notion among some people, I mean I'm not saying you, but among some people, that our understanding of God is just sort of like given to us, and that's it. Like, this is what our people believe about God, and it's presented to you when you're a kid, and that's it. It doesn't change, because it's the truth. It's what our people think God is like. It's what our people think God does, and, uh, and that doesn't change. This is what our people believe about God. But we know, of course, here, that that can't actually be the way it works. You know, we don't all think now the best way to get across the kitchen floor is by crawling anymore. No, when we're hungry, we don't just cry until somebody comes and sticks something in our mouth to suck on. No. I mean, we're capable of abstract thought, right? We can hold opposing ideas in tension now, most of us. I mean, we have feelings that we don't act on, right? We can read multisyllabic words. We can learn new things. We can develop capacities and understandings. Certainly, our understanding of God must develop. I mean, maybe you started out with a personal God, and you grew up. You developed the understanding of the vague, lovely God. Maybe you started out with this notion of, like, something out there, beyond you kind of God, and grew into some understanding of some God that is more personal, attentive, benevolent. I started out with my own personal Jesus that would help me with tests. The Jesus that I would pray to when my dad's car wouldn't start. He was the Jesus that would make the bus come when it was late and it was cold. He was the Jesus that would help me find parking spaces, you know, that parking space Jesus. 
the thank you for this food, Jesus. I loved that Jesus, you know? I kind of miss that Jesus. But you grow up, right? You realize that even if Jesus was like really into the whole parking space issue, Jesus can't be finding the closest space to the entrance for everyone. You know? The first time you realize that both teams are in the locker room before the game, asking Jesus to help them win. The first time you hear Bob Dylan sing with God on our side, you realize that that God is gone. That is why I have such a hard time with the Psalms. I feel like that parking space, Jesus, is everywhere. I miss that old Jesus that I used to have. And the Psalms kind of make me mad when I read them because it reminds me of that. It reminds me of the Jesus that when I was a really little kid and I was afraid of monsters. I mean, monsters like, you know, like Frankenstein, those kind of monsters, not the kind of monsters I know are really scary now, like governments and corporations and my own thoughts, you know? The simpler monsters. I used to have this reoccurring nightmare. This guy, he was like, looked like Mr. Clean. Do you know what he looks like? Shaved head, big t-shirt. He would come and he would sit on my bed at night. And I would think I was awake. And he would look at me and he would say, who, what, why? And it would just freak me out. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, you know? Yeah, even as a you know, little kid, I was, my nightmares were existential dilemmas, you know? <laughs> but the only thing I could do when I was waking up, I was that afraid, afraid of the monsters under the bed, is like, I would picture Jesus, robe and all, beard, everything, standing with me, and all those monsters would come by on this merry-go-round, and as each one came by, Jesus would reach out and just punch them in the face <laughs> and knock them down. I loved that Jesus. I miss that Jesus. And so when I read the Psalms, I see that Jesus everywhere. The parking space finding monster punching Jesus is all over the Psalms. And you know what? Now, though, when I look at that, I'm kind of appalled. As much as I miss that Jesus, I don't know if I really want that Jesus, that, that God, that God that I find in the Psalms. I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed, actually, sometimes when I read the Psalms and the God that they're describing there. I mean, the Psalms are full of requests for God to smite and smote and slay and conquer and annihilate enemies. Psalms of reassurance that God is on our side, as witnessed by the death of our enemies. I mean, really, have any of you ever prayed that God would kill somebody? I never have. Have you, any of you ever been convinced that your enemies are truly God's enemies? And that it would be a show of God's love for you to annihilate them? I haven't. This is the God I find in the Psalms. Or there's these Psalms of lament. You know, when God is displeased with us, 
with our behavior, as witnessed by our own defeat by our enemies, or, you know, bad weather. I don't get this God. I don't like this God. I don't understand this God that's all over the Psalms because it's always this God of power, right? This God of this powerful God that is acting on my behalf. And it's always this powerful God. And I suppose if you are going to have this personal God that's going to do things for you and take care of you and have a God that's on your side, you'd want to choose the strongest one possible. I mean, it really wouldn't do any good to have the God that's on your side be weak, would it? Yeah, I suppose if you're going to have that kind of personal God, you want the powerful God. Which is like probably when they see powerful things happening, right? Uh, They attribute it to their God. Or we do. Like uh, when we see the defeat of a superior army. That was a sign of God's glory and God's might and God's love for us. Or when we see something like an earthquake, we attribute that to God and God's power and glory. Because then it's kind of like proof, right? Assurance. See how powerful our God is? Today's psalm is a powerful God psalm. Although rendered much too beautiful by Raz. Yeah, it's one of those powerful God psalms, like there's so many of them, and it's also one of those weather psalms. This one, this whole psalm today is like, it's claiming that this big, crazy, flash flood thunderstorm that comes in from the Mediterranean and floods the desert is a display of God's power and God's glory. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. This storm that comes in is like God's God's voice that comes in. This flood, it breaks the cedars. It breaks the cedars. This flash of flames and fire that is the lightning in this thunderstorm is God's might coming in off the water through the mountains over the desert. It says it shakes the wilderness. It causes God's voice and power and might, causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare. And all in God's temple cry, glory. Because what else are you going to do? You better, it's that God that comes in and floods everything and destroys everything and wipes out the forest and strips the trees of their bark. That better be the God you're worshiping in the temple. Otherwise, you're in trouble. This powerful God, I don't like this God. Because if this God will defeat your enemies for you, what if this God turns on you? You know? What happens when that God turns on you? It's good to have a powerful God on your side, but I'm saying that's not a God you can really trust. It's good to have a God next to you that's going to punch every one of the monsters that comes by unless you become one of the monsters. I don't know, so I have a problem with these songs. 
the only way I can get around it, because they're just in there, right? They're in the book, is I have to think that these are people who are praying to God with all honesty and all sincerity. That this is not a description of how God actually is, but these are people crying out, people who need some rescue, who need some salvation, and it helps them to think that there is a God who is mighty and powerful who can do something for them, who can save them. I've never been in a situation that's that bad. And the way I was raised is I never was taught about a God who would do that, who would be solely on my side at the expense of someone else. So, I mean, you could say that obviously these psalm writers have not, they're spiritually underdeveloped. Or maybe they're just more honest than I am. Maybe the fact that they might think God is benevolent and loving to all people doesn't stop them from crying out for God to smite their enemies. Maybe I'm too polite with God. Maybe I'm not honest enough with God. I don't know. But when I think about the powerful waters, this flood, I also think about today in the church year is the day that we celebrate the baptism of Jesus. And I can't help but thinking of these two opposing ideas of the powerful voice of God that flows on top of the water and this Son of God that willingly goes under the water and invites us to go under the water, down below the surface of the water with him. Maybe there's a place that you could have a personal Jesus that isn't all about power. Maybe you, don't, you can have a personal Jesus that isn't just about helping you find a parking place. Maybe you can have a personal Jesus that sits in the car while you circle the lot 